as Brother Dan mentioned, uh, it, is, it is about the few, the few, the few this evening. Well, you open the Word of God this evening, but it will be uh, no less wonderful to examine the, the Word of God where two or three are gathered. I hear that is, that is what makes, uh, that is what brings the Lord's presence. That is, uh, we have certainly met that here and we are grateful, grateful for that. Will you open the Word of God this evening to the book of Acts, chapter 2 and verse 36 is where we'll find our text this evening. Here the word of the living and the true God reads, Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made that same Jesus, whom ye have crucified, both Lord and Christ. Peter, here in this passage, he cites two Old Testament texts to uh, prove his point. Now there are many more, and we'll look at many more this evening. But he, use, he uses Psalm 16 and Psalm 110 to prove his point about who the Lord Christ's... Yes, I'm sorry, Acts chapter 2 and verse 36. Peter uses the, these, two, uh, these two passages from the Old Testament. We know them as Psalm 16 and Psalm 110 to prove his point about uh, the Old Testament pointed to the Lord Christ, pointed him out, uh, and that this is the, the very same Jesus that they crucified. Will you look at verse, verse 25 with me where he begins this, uh, this teaching? For David speaketh, uh, speaketh concerning him, I foresaw the Lord always before my face, for he is on my right hand that I should not be moved, citing Psalm 16. Therefore did my heart rejoice, and my tongue was glad. Moreover also my flesh shall rest in hope, continuing that citation. Because thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption, his anointed one, his, his, uh, his uh, Christos in the, in the Greek, his Messiah, his holy one, to see corruption. Thou hast made known to me the ways of life, thou shalt make me full of joy with thy countenance. He ends the citation of Psalm 16. Men and brethren, let me freely speak unto you of the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried, and his sepulcher is with us unto this day. He saw corruption. David, his body decayed. That's what the corruption there in verse 27, citing Psalm 16, verse 10. David saw corruption. God would not allow his holy one to see corruption. Do you know that the Lord, the Lord Christ's body did not decay in the grave? His, God would not allow his holy one to decay in the grave. He was not left there. He was not left to decay, nor would he ever decay. David did. Therefore, Peter states, this is not about David. Seeing this, therefore, verse, uh, drop down to uh, verse 34. For David is not ascended into the heavens, but he saith himself. It's about to cite Psalm 110. David did not ascend into the heavens, but he said himself, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit thou on my right hand until I make thy, en thy foes, thy enemies, thy footstool. Psalm 110 is, uh, some have referenced it as uh, God's favorite passage. For he cites Psalm 110.1 in his word most often over any other text. 
that is cited most often, and here it is used, therefore. Anytime you see a therefore, you've heard, you've heard me say it before, back up and figure out why the therefore, what the therefore is there for. Therefore, it logically concludes, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made that same Jesus whom ye have crucified, both Lord and Christ, that he is the one that these passages reference. Now, he, he used two, and I'm not a, 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 attempting to add to his sermon here. But there are many other texts, and I would like to look at four of them that speak expressly of the Lord Jesus Christ, that point out who he is and what he would do. Let's examine them this evening, and even when he would come. Come to Daniel, chapter 9. The prophet of Daniel, chapter 9, provides us with a, with a prophecy of exactly when the Lord Christ would come, when Messiah would come. At the end of chapter 9... At verse, verse 24, <clears throat> 70 weeks are determined upon thy people and upon thy holy city to finish the transgression, to make an end of sins, to make, and to make reconciliation for iniquity, and to bring in everlasting righteousness, and to seal up the vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy. So we could spend time, we, 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 don't, have time to, we don't have time tonight, unfortunately, to go through all of that, and see when that would be fulfilled in that 70 weeks, or 77s, as it could also be rendered. That weeks is not the typical word for weeks, but 77s. Know therefore and understand, verse 25, that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and to build Jerusalem unto the Messiah, the Prince, shall be seven weeks, or seven sevens. That would be every day of that week is a year. So 49 years, 7 times 7, 49 years from the going forth of the commandment that King Cyrus gave. Now, there are three, three times in the Old Testament that that commandment was given, but it is all one person. Cyrus is that same person throughout those passages. They, the others were titles, like Pharaoh. Pharaoh, that's not his name, that's his title, King thing, similar, uh, that, that is how they named their kings. The, the, when King Cyrus gave that commandment, restore Jerusalem, build the temple, it would be 49 years to build back Jerusalem, to restore it to what it was. The temple had been destroyed. At the end of, at the end of Jeremiah, you see that uh, all the Israelites had been either scattered or deported into Babylon. And the temple, the first temple, the temple that Solomon built, was destroyed. Here, the second temple, the temple that our Lord visited, the temple that, that was uh, in, the, in our Lord's day, was built here. Now it was renovated, because it was 400 years old, it was renovated by Herod. That took 46 years to renovate, and that's referenced in the New Testament. But it took 49 years to restore Jerusalem and to build the temple. And three score and two weeks, that is 62, three score, a score being 20, Three score being sixty and two sixty two, the street shall be built again and the wall even in troublous uh, troublous times. And it was uh, a tempestuous time to be in the land of Israel, as you read in Nehemiah. It was it, it was a, a bad time in that land. They had no protection. And after three score and two weeks, that if you multiply sixty two by seven, you get four hundred and thirty four years. 
since this is three score and two sevens, it's talking about every day of that week is a year. So you get 434 years. There here, here is combined 69 weeks. We've discussed this some in the past. 69 weeks are shown in this text. There is one missing week that we've examined before, Jacob's 70th week as, as, it, is, as it is referenced. But here, 62, uh, 62 weeks shall pass and Messiah shall be cut off. This is one of two times that the Hebrew term Mashiach, or in the Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Hebrew Scriptures, Christos, is rendered Messiah, or Christ. All the other times, it is rendered Anointed One. Psalm 2 is an example. They, they uh, take counsel against the Lord and against His Anointed One, saying, that's the same term, Mashiach, here translated Messiah. This is one of those two passages where it is rendered Messiah. He shall be cut off after 60, after that 434 years, after Jerusalem has been built. But not for himself. And we know that Christ didn't die for himself. The Messiah would not die for himself. And the people of the prince that shall come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. So after 434 years, when Christ would die, when the Messiah would die, not for himself, the, the people of the prince that shall come. The the, you've heard uh, of, the, of the beast of the Antichrist in the book of the Revelation being revived Rome, the, his, his form of government, imperialistic type government. The beast is both referenced as a person and as a government with the beast being its head. You see, it, you see it used both ways in the book of the Revelation. The people of the prince that shall come, uh, Rome, or, or a revived version of Rome, they will destroy the temple. Rome did destroy the temple in AD 70. But notice Messiah is killed before them. So if Christ is not Christ, if Jesus is not who he said he was, the temple was destroyed in A.D. 70. If Christ isn't Christ, then we're yet in our sin. And what's even worse is that God is a liar. We know that that's not the case, so, so don't accuse me of blasphemy. We know that what he speaks is true. But if, he, if this isn't true, then God is a liar. And that's even worse than us being in our sins because we don't know what to believe. We know that this is the truth. We know that Christ is the Christ. We know that, that he did perish before the second temple was destroyed in A.D. 70. We know that he is who he said he was. And that is when he would appear prior to A.D. 70, prior to the destruction of Jerusalem. So keep, keep that in mind with, uh, with your study of the scriptures. And I feel like I just got louder. Is that uh, you guys able to hear Okay, okay. <clears throat> so we, we are told exactly when he would appear. By the time that he would appear and when he would be cut off. We're told exactly when that happens. By the way, those, those years, those 49 years and 434 years were fulfilled to a T. His last week is going to be fulfilled to a T. We don't need to stretch that last week out to be thousands of years. 
as some, as some would take it to be. I don't know why they would take that literally and then take the last week to be an inordinate amount of time. It, 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 it makes no sense to me, but this is, this is what the scriptures teach. We're told who the Messiah would be, that he would be an heir of that he would be an heir of David, a descendant of King David. Come to come to Second Samuel, Second Samuel chapter seven, where where the what is referred to as the Davidic covenant is made <clears throat> between God and King David. Second Samuel chapter seven and verse twelve. And when thy days be fulfilled, that is, when David's days be fulfilled, and thou shalt sleep with thy fathers, I will set up thy seed after thee, which shall proceed out of thy bowels, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build an house for my name, and I will, I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father, and he shall be my son. If he commit iniquity, I will chasten him with the rod of men and with the stripes of the children of men. But my mercy shall not depart away from him as I took it from Saul, whom I put away before thee. And thine house and thy kingdom shall be established forever. Before thee thy throne shall be established forever. Now, of course, there are the, the immediate fulfillment. God does not have to have just a single fulfillment for his prophecy. We, we've noted in Psalm 2 in the past that there was a fulfillment because David was, was the psalmist in that psalm, as we see in Acts chapter 4. They referenced David as that psalmist. It was, there was a fulfillment in David's day. The people, the people and the Gentiles were against David being the Lord's anointed king and the Lord himself. So there was a fulfillment in David's day. There was a fulfillment in Christ's day, and that's the application that's being made in Acts chapter 4. There's also an ever-present fulfillment of that, uh, of that psalm. We are also anointed by the Lord God. We are anointed once in a, in a certain sense, and the, Lord, and the world stands against us. The people and the Gentiles stand against us, so there is an ever-present fulfillment also. And there is also a future, final fulfillment at Christ at his coming when he when when the world will when the men will gather to fight against him when they do not want him when they do not want him to be their king they will fight against him and he will laugh and the lord will set him up as king of his holy mountain in Jerusalem there is uh, god does not have to have a single fulfillment just a single fulfillment of his prophecy here he has two Solomon being the immediate fulfillment, David's son who would build a house for God, who would build the temple. David would not be allowed to build the temple, though David would be given the plans that he would then communicate to Solomon. But Solomon would be the one that built the house. But we understand, and we understand some of this applies only to Solomon. Christ would not be chastened of God. He didn't commit iniquity. He had no reason to endure chastening on his own behalf. He was, he was uh, uh, bruised for our iniquities, which we'll look at. But the forever, the forever here, establishing David's throne forever, is, finds its fulfillment in the Lord Christ. It could not be Solomon. Solomon wouldn't live forever. But the Lord Christ, he lives forever. No doubt, no doubt it was, it was first fulfilled in, in Solomon, but also ultimately in the Lord Christ. Come to Psalm 89, where we see that the Lord will not 
forget this covenant. And this would have been a, a great... Uh, a, a great promise to have been reminded of. For there, there is uh, something that the Lord told Jeconiah, a descendant of David, that would be very troubling in this regard. 80, Psalm 89 and verse 3, I have made a covenant with my chosen. I have sworn unto David my servant. Thy seed will I establish forever and build up thy throne to all generations. Selah, or pause and think, meditate on that. That is a wonderful promise to be reminded of For in Jeremiah, Jeremiah twenty-two thirty. We won't turn there, but you may turn there. There's a curse placed upon Jeconiah, a descendant of David, that no king would ever proceed out of his bowels ever again. That seems as if the Davidic covenant had an end, but it did not. Turn to, turn to Luke chapter 3. Have you ever noticed that we have two genealogies for the Lord Christ? One in Matthew, one in Luke. The one in, the one in Matthew being, being the one for Joseph. Uh, I, I, believe, I believe it's Joseph. I don't want to get that wrong. There at the end, uh, Jacob begat Joseph. Yes, verse 16, Matthew 1.16. Matthew's is for Joseph. Luke's is for Mary. Beginning in verse 23, we won't go through all of it, but notice, notice when, when David, this, this goes through Nathan, David's son, not Solomon. The other one, Joseph's, goes, goes through Solomon. In verse 31, which was the son of Melia, which is the son of Menan, which is the son of Metatha, which was the son of Nathan, which was the son of David. Here, Luke's goes through Nathan, Mary's line goes through Nathan. God never said which son would be would be would this line go through. The, David then has a has a son who goes by the name Jesus Christ. Here Mary has has that regal line, the royal line being through Joseph. Christ has both. Both go back to David. David uh, Christ is the son of David. And we know that this is Mary's. We know that this is Mary's line for at the very beginning. <clears throat> you see at verse 23, and Jesus himself began to be about 30 years, years of age, being, as was supposed, the son of Joseph, which was the son of Heli. Notice it doesn't say begotten of Heli. Joseph is the son-in-law of Heli. Heli is Mary's father. But in Matthew chapter 1 and verse 16, Jacob begot Joseph. Not only in Genesis, but also Joseph and Mary. That Joseph was, his father's name was Jacob. Something to, something to keep in mind that Christ is the son of David proven by his genealogies. But we're also told that he would not only be the son of David, but that he would be the God-man. Come to Zechariah. Zechariah chapter 12, and this is, uh, again, something we've noted in Sunday school at the beginning of the book of the Revelation. <clears throat> Zechariah 12 and verse 10, And I will pour upon the house of David and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and of supplications. They shall look upon me whom they have pierced. 
Now it is the Lord God speaking. It is the Lord, all caps, it is Jehovah saying that they have pierced me and they shall mourn for him as one mourneth for his only son and shall be in bitterness for him as one that is in bitterness for his firstborn. So here the one that they have pierced is the Lord God. And it is also spoken of as him, me and him. And that is, we understand, that, that, the, that the Lord Jesus Christ could speak of God as himself, but also God as his Father. They are, one, they are of one purpose, and we'll, we'll note that text in just a moment. They are of one kind. They are the same God. They are one God. The Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost. These three are one, 1 John 5, 7, we are told. The God-man. The one, one thing that we also noted here that Jesus specifically uses to point to himself in Zechariah 12.10 is that when they shall look upon me whom there is an aleph and a ta in the Hebrew language that is not translated. It doesn't have a translation. It is used, it is used to determine the object of a verb. It is used to help find out who was pierced, me whom they have pierced. And here the Aleph and the Ta, the last, the first and the last letters of the Hebrew language. Christ uses that language about himself. Come to the book of the Revelation and we'll, and we'll note that. Now remember, Aleph and Ta are the first and last letters of the Hebrew alphabet. Here in Revelation 1 and verse, and verse 8, Christ says, I am Alpha and Omega. I am the beginning and the ending the first and the last. He is the one that the Alpha and the Ta are referencing. The Alpha and the Omega are the first and the last letters of the Greek alphabet. He is, he is making direct reference. In the Septuagint, the Alpha and the, and, the, and the Ta would have been rendered by Alpha and Omega. There, he is making reference to that passage, saying, that's me. I am the one whom they have pierced. I am the one that, uh, that they shall look to in that final day. In that day in which all Israel will be saved, they, when the Lord God pours the spirit of grace and of supplication upon them, and they shall look upon him whom they've pierced, and they shall mourn for him as one's only son, that's the Lord Christ. They will look to him. It will be, it will be at that day that they shall realize who it is that they pierced, and it is that they pierced the Lord God. And did Christ, this is uh, a, common, uh, a common argument, oh, Christ never claimed to be God. He never, show me where he said, I am God, worship me. He didn't have to make it that explicit. He didn't have to. Turn to John chapter 10. He didn't have to say that, but the Pharisees got it time and time again. <clears throat> John ten thirty three. We'll get the context. We'll back up, back up for the context. Verse 25. Jesus answered them, I told you, and you believe not. The works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness of me. But ye believe not, and don't ever forget this passage, because ye are not of my sheep, as I said unto you. My sheep hear my voice, and, they know, and I know them, and they follow me. Why don't they believe him? It's because they are not of his sheep. Sheep don't choose the shepherd. The shepherd chooses the sheep. It's the way it works in nature, and God uses nature to teach us 
who he is and how he works. Here, he used, he, he's uh, likening us to sheep, which, by the way, are defenseless. It is, the, it is the shepherd that protects the sheep. The sheep don't have any way of defending themselves. We, likewise, have no way of defending ourselves but our shepherd. And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father, which gave them me, is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. They're one in purpose. Christ is not the Father, and the Father is not Christ. But they are one in purpose. I've, I have been told, I'm not an expert in the Greek language, I have been told that this is plural, so it could be rendered, I and my Father, we are one which would also make sense. Then the Jews took up stones to stone him. Jesus answered them, Many good works have I showed you from my Father. Which of, the, which of those works do you stone me? And here is where they understood exactly what Christ was claiming. The Jews answered him, saying, For a good work we stone thee not, but for blasphemy, because that thou, being a man, makest thyself God. He's the God-man. And they understood exactly what he was claiming. Modern skeptics don't understand what he was claiming because they don't understand the word of God. But they understood his words at that day. They understood exactly that he was claiming to be the Lord God. Turn over just to the, a couple of chapters. Chapter 12 of the gospel according to John. In verse 37, But though he had done so many miracles before them, yet they believed not on him. That the saying of Isaiah, or Isaiah, the prophet, might be fulfilled, which he spake, Lord, who hath believed our report, and to whom hath the arm of the Lord been revealed? Do you know that if anybody's going to believe our, our report, for this, this is preposterous, if it hasn't been revealed to you. Oh, completely over my head, before the Lord revealed it to me as, as uh, I, am, I am sure is the same testimony with everyone in here. I understood nothing. When, when, they say, when, when 1 Corinthians 2.14 says, the natural man receiveth nothing, understands nothing, I get that. I understood nothing until the Lord revealed, decided to speak light to my heart when it, when it pleased God who separated me from my mother's womb and called me by His grace. That is when we begin to understand. Here, it had not been revealed to them. Therefore, they could not believe because that Isaiah, or Isaiah said again, He hath blinded their eyes and hardened their heart that they should not see with their eyes nor understand with their heart and be converted and I should heal them. These things said Isaiah, or Isaiah, when he saw his glory and spake of him. When Isaiah saw his glory, not, not his cell, not his own glory. He didn't see his own glory. He didn't see John's glory. When did Isaiah say these things? Isaiah chapter 6, the temple vision. He saw the Lord Christ. That is who he saw in that vision. Isaiah saw Jesus. And you see in that, in that passage, it is the Lord. All caps. Jesus didn't have to openly state, I am God, worship me. He claimed it all the time. He walked every, every second of his life. He walked in that truth and explained it in ways that the Jews understood and desired to stone him for that blasphemy. 
He is the Lord God. He is the God-man, and we were told that of him. We were told that uh, that was told in the Old Testament, that it, that it would be him. Isaiah saw the Lord Christ in that passage, and that is a, a wonderful truth that just every time I think of it causes me to rejoice. Now, we've seen when he would come before the destruction of the temple, for, uh, 434 years after the, the commandment, or after the, the, the restoration of Jerusalem, he would come and he would die, not for himself. What would, uh, and we saw who he would be, that he would be the God-man, the descend, a descendant of King David, that he would be a son of David. And what would he do? Will you come to Isaiah 53 with me? We will see exactly. This, this passage is, is elsewhere is described by some to be the gospel according to Isaiah. And boy, is it. It, it describes with uh, perfection what Christ would do, what, what his actions would be, what he would ultimately accomplish in his life. Verse, 50, uh, verse 1 of chapter 53 who hath believed our report, and to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? Remember, we read that in John 12. For he shall, show, shall grow up before him, that is before God, as a tender plant, and as a root out of dry ground. He hath no form nor comeliness, when we, and when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He'll look just like any other man. They would have no idea that he's the king of kings and lord of lords. They have no idea that he is Lord and Christ. Remember the angel told, uh, told the shepherds, I believe it was, that today is born in the city of David a Savior who is, present tense, Christ the Lord. He was Christ the Lord from then and before then, Christ the Lord. He is despised and rejected of men. We, had, we wanted nothing to do with him a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and we hid, as it were, our faces from him. We wanted nothing to do with him. We didn't have anything. to. We, we, we desired nothing from him. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely, or, or truly, or certainly, it's not a question, he hath borne our griefs. This is making a statement, a truth statement. Borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. The Jews, you read, you read his crucifixion account in the Gospels, they assumed that he was being punished for his sin. That's, that's what they thought. But by no means was that why he was, why he was on that cross. They thought, he was, uh, they thought that he was being smitten of God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised, or he, not just bruises that, that turn purple on your skin, but he was crushed. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. What a perfect depiction in Isaiah of what our Lord Christ would accomplish on our behalf. Some 700 years before it happened, written perfectly for us. Drop down to, to, verse, uh, to verse 10. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him, to crush him. He hath put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, 
He shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. So it pleased the Lord. I read this uh, to a dear, a dear friend of mine that I pray for regularly, that he does not understand the truth. I read that, that verse to him. His response was, wow, that's harsh. That's right. Sin is not good before a thrice holy God. It pleased the Lord to crush him because of our sin, because of what we, would, because of what we have done. Why is why the Lord hung there on the cross, why he was crushed. He hath put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he was, his person was made a sin offering. He that knew no sin was made sin for us, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. He shall see his seed. Do you know that that's us? When God looked at Christ on the cross, he saw us. He didn't see the the perfect righteousness of Christ uh, per this text. He saw our sin that had been imputed to the Lord Christ. He saw us on that cross. It pleased the Lord to crush him because of that. Do you know that now when God looks at us, he sees the Lord Jesus? Think about that and let that, let that bless your souls. How, how, what he has done for us. What he has done on our behalf. He shall see his seed and he shall prolong his days. Christ's days are ever prolonged. And the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Because of what he has done, the pleasure of the Lord prospers. He shall see the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied. Propitiated. We read... In First John, that he's the propitiation for our sins. Now, in, in newer, newer Bibles, you'll see expiation. Now, that's a taking away from what Christ did. He, it, he has not only made satisfaction, he's not only paid the debt, which is what expiation says, but propitiation adds another layer. He's also removed the wrath. He's also removed the wrath that God has against us. If it wasn't for Christ... We would have the wrath of God and a sin debt to pay. Christ propitiated his Father on our behalf. He is the propitiation for our sins. And we read in 1 John, not for our sins only, but for the sins of the whole world. That, that is the whole world of his people. Whole world does not mean everyone that has ever lived. 1 John five twelve, I believe it is, uses the same Greek phrase, halos kosmos. It is whole, rendered whole world there in 1 John 5.12 also. The whole world lies in the lap of the wicked one or lies in wickedness. You and I don't lie in wickedness. We are in Christ. It's speaking of two different whole worlds. There is a whole world of God's people and there is a whole world that lies in wickedness. whole world that lies in the lap of the wicked one, which is not you and I. But here... He shall see the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied or propitiated. He, Christ paid the debt and satisfied the wrath. By his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. How did God's righteous servant justify many? By bearing their iniquities. We are not justified by our own faith. Our faith is not meritorious. Christ is the one that merits our salvation. By faith, we come to understand that truth. Christ is the one who justified many. Notice he does not justify all. He justifies the many. 
the many for whom he died are the same ones that he bore their iniquities. And we come into an understanding of that when it pleases God. And we, we cannot help but praise God for what he has done. That is, we, we have seen what it is that our, who our Lord, when he would come, who he was, what he would do. Come to 1 Peter. 1 Peter 2. This will be, be, our, be our closing text. 1 Peter 2 and verse, verse 22. We'll get, we'll get 21. For hereunto were ye called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that ye should follow his steps. Christ believed his Father in every aspect of his life. That's the, that's the example that he has left for us. He walked in faith every step of this life. Now, we, we're not to go crucify ourselves. That's not the example that he left. That was for a specific purpose. It is believing, believing God in all that we do. Now, we get a description. We get a description of the Lord Christ, who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth. Isaiah 53. Who, when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but, but committed himself to him, that is, his Father, that judgeth righteously. He committed himself to his Father. Not my will, but thine be done, did he say in the garden. Who his own self bare our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, for this purpose, being dead to sins, for when, when he died, we died. For when he was raised, we were raised, as in, in our head, that we should live unto righteousness, that we should no longer serve sin, but that we should live unto righteousness by whose stripes, by whose lashes, by, by his wounds, ye were healed. Because of what Christ did, we are made whole. We are made whole by his righteousness. For ye were as sheep going astray. We've, we are all like sheep gone astray. We've turned every one to his own way. The Lord hath laid upon him the iniquity of us all. We were all sheep. Now if sheep go astray, where were we before? Together in one sheepfold. Were we not chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world? And then we went astray. But now, are now returned unto the shepherd and the bishop of your souls. The shepherd and the bishop, the overseer of our souls. He is, he is our captain. He is the one who, he is our redeemer. He is our savior. We saw that he would come before the destruction of the second temple. He did come before the destruction of the, of the second temple in AD 70. We saw that he would be the descendant of David, that he would be the son of David, that he would be the one spoken of in Psalm 110.1, that he would be David's Lord, that he would also be the God-man that the Jews themselves pierced, that they will one day look to him Look to whom, him whom they have pierced, that our Lord Christ is the God-man, and that he is the one that Isaiah saw in the temple vision. And we saw in Isaiah 53 all that he would accomplish on our behalf, saving us from our sins, for he bore our iniquities on the tree. He did all of that for us. How can we not love him? How can we not serve him? How can we not want to do all that he has bid us to do? The resurrection validates, validates that everything he said was true. It not only shows that, that God has the power to raise the dead, but the fact that he is the first fruits of the resurrection validates that everything he said, 
everything he taught was the truth. God raising it gives, gives, that, uh, uh, gives that justification to his claims that he is Messiah, that he is the son of David, that he is the mighty God that is described in Isaiah 9, and that he is God's righteous servant. This is how Peter could say in our text, Acts 2.36, with such certainty that God has made him both Lord and Christ. Let's bow before him. Our Father and our God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for